The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who reflects on the Hawks' marathon win at Iowa State and previews this week's Iowa-Middle Tennessee game. John Bonenkamp provides his big breakdown, his weekly look at Big Ten football, and you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Middle Tennessee's Rick Stockstill. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with award-winning sports writer John Bonenkamp. The Iowa-Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of FS1, with announcers Brian Custer, Robert Smith, and Sarah Kustak. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Over the middle, and caught Amir Smith-Marset. That play, that was an absolute laser from Nate Stanley. And you can see why NFL scouts are so excited. And he delivers that ball in a very tight window through the defenders. He's got a very quick release, but the ball got there in an instant and barely dropped. Needed perfect to the delivery. Needed 22, got 27. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes play their last scheduled non-conference game of the season this Saturday, hosting the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders of Conference USA. Iowa is 3-0 overall and 1-0 in the Big Ten. It is going for the fifth 4-0 start in the Kirk Ferentz era. In three of those four seasons, the Hawkeyes went on to win 10 or more games, 2003, 2009, and 2015. Iowa has won 10 straight non-conference games since the beginning of the 2017 season. It's also won six straight games overall, which is its longest winning streak since going 12-0 to start the 2015 season. Middle Tennessee is 1-2 and two so far this year, with its losses coming at Michigan and versus Duke. Its low win is at home against Tennessee State. This is the first game between these two teams, both of which are coming off their first bye week of the season. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz 
Schultz, the Dean of College Football Coaches and the winningest head football coach in Iowa history, is 154-101 in his 21 years heading up the Hawkeyes. Middle Tennessee head coach Rick Stockstill is in his 14th year at the helm of the Blue Raiders with a record of 88-80, and and he is the sixth longest tenured head coach in college football. Stockstill has led Middle Tennessee to eight of its last 12 bowl appearances, has had just three losing seasons out of his 14 as head coach, and won the Conference USA East Division title last year. Stockstill has been the Conference Coach of the Year three times, once in Conference USA and twice in the Sunbelt Conference where Middle Tennessee used to play. This is MTSU's 21st season at the FBS level. In game notes with the Cyhawk Trophy win at Iowa State, Nate Stanley has now started at 29 straight games as Iowa's quarterback, and the Hawkeyes are averaging 29.6 points per game in that stretch. That average is 5th in Iowa history and 10th nationally among active quarterbacks. He has 16 career multi-TD passing games, including 10 games with at least 3 touchdown passes. And while he didn't throw a touchdown pass in the game against the Cyclones, he has thrown 6 TD passes so far in the 2019 season against no interceptions. Stanley has now attempted 111 consecutive passes without throwing an interception. That's the ninth longest active streak in the FBS. The Hawkeyes are second in the Big Ten and fourth in the nation in time of possession this season, controlling the ball an average of 36 minutes and 11 seconds per game, while their opponents have done so an average of 23-49. Iowa's defense, despite key injuries, is ranked highly in a number of categories, fourth in the Big Ten and 12th in the FBS in total defense, fourth in the Big Ten and seventh nationally in scoring defense, and sixth in the conference and 13th in the FBS in rushing defense. Iowa continues to play through a number of injuries in its defensive secondary, as well as having to shuffle its offensive line due to injuries to both starters and now reserves on that unit. As of Tuesday's press conference with Ference, it doesn't sound like any of the previously injured Hawkeyes will return for this Saturday's game, but some may be available for next week's Big Ten contest at Michigan. In tidbits and nuggets, kickoff is set for 11.05 a.m., and this game will be televised on ESPN2 with announcers Kevin Brown and Andre Ware. It will be broadcast as usual on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 196, and Sirius Channel 136. And in a classic tidbit or nugget, before Middle Tennessee became known as the Blue Raiders, they went under at least three different monikers, the teachers, the pedagogues, and the normalities. Oh, this is awkward. I'm gonna walk. Uh, I'm gonna walk this situation off, and I will see you later. Nothing to look at. It. Go back to work, everyone. Don't act like you're not impressed. From 39 yards out, Duncan. He's been perfect. Knocks it through. He's good. And the Hawkeyes retake the lead. One point. Under five minutes left. This is what they're playing for. The Cy Hawk Trophy. The finish when we come back.
next is a new feature on Hawkeye's Mike Football Podcasts. It's Bonin Camp's Big Update, where John talks Big Ten football. It's week five of the 2019 season. You can follow John on Twitter, at John Bonencamp, and you can read John's articles on Sports Illustrated's new Hawkeye Maven at maven.io forward slash Iowa. Okay, we welcome back John Bonencamp. This is a new segment for our football podcasts, Reporter's Notebook shows, Bonencamp's Big Breakdown. And we're going to go over the Big Ten, what happened in the last week, and what's going to happen in the week to come, and maybe give you some of the odds involved in these games. But just in terms of general Big Ten news, John. There's seven games, including six conference matchups this weekend. Uh, Five Big Ten teams, including the Hawkeyes, remain undefeated. And Minnesota, Penn State, and Wisconsin as well, all are 3-0. The Buckeyes are 4-0. And several Big Ten teams are in the top 10 nationally in scoring defense and scoring offense. And in terms of the Big Ten West, Wisconsin's certainly been very impressive so far. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about odds later, but it was like like I went with the under in that Wisconsin uh, Wisconsin game the other day with Michigan because I thought it was going to be a you know and all of a sudden they just dominated them and you know Michigan tacked on some late some late scores that were pretty meaningless but you know I thought that was going to be a close game and then now here you are you know I mean you're this this Wisconsin team's pretty legitimate I think just in what they did the other day I mean that was that was just a, pr- a really dominating performance at home last weekend you also saw Michigan State handle. Northwestern pretty easily 31 to 10. We just talked Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, one of the more interesting games and more entertaining as it turned out in the, at the end of the day, Nebraska edged Illinois in Champaign. Finally won a road game the Cornhuskers did. Yeah, and that was, you know, I mean, that was a game that, I mean, it was, it was, that was, it was one of those weird, weird games that you, you just, you know, when I looked at that on the, on the skin, I mean, I thought Illinois, you know, I thought maybe this would be kind of a year where Illinois maybe had kind of maybe turned a little bit of a corner. And, you know, they just didn't play well early in that game. You know, I mean, to me, you know, that was for Nebraska, it was a good road win. And I think it was a win they really needed for Illinois. I think that was kind of a setback for them. And, you know, as moving forward, I mean, it, it, you know, like I said, I I think it was it was an important game for Nebraska, you know, after after losing here a couple weeks ago to Colorado. I mean, it was just it was just one of those things they needed to do. And so, um, you know, like I said, it was it was it was it was, you know, it was it was one of those games where I I actually had the under on that game, you know, because again, that was another game I thought that that would be a close game, a low scoring game, and it wasn't. So, um, you know, I, a good a good win for Nebraska, and like you said, a good road win for them. You know, now they go home and get Ohio State. You know, good luck with that. So, sticking with the Big Ten West for just a second, Northwestern. A lot of the preseason discussion, you know, was talked about as being de- a definite contender in the Big Ten West division, and now all of a sudden they find themselves one and two after the Michigan State handled them. And then they have to go into Wisconsin this weekend. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what's going on there with the Wildcats? You know, I mean, the, I mean, I figured that was going to be a defensive game, but again, I, I just, I was, I was surprised at the way that that Michigan State really handled them, and it, it's a sign that that in this team, it's a sign that this Northwestern team just maybe not, might not be what we kind of thought they might be at the beginning of the year. You know, again, that was that was that was a close game, odds wise and you know, point spread wise and all that that was you know going into that game, and again, Michigan State just handled them, and and. Um, 
Um, you know, so I, I think there are a lot of issues there. I know, I know Pat Fitzgerald was really kind of snippy in his press conference earlier this week, you know, as, as they prepare for this week. And you can tell maybe he knows that this isn't a very good team and that there's a lot of issues right now internally that, that, that they, they need to get worked out here pretty soon or else they're going to, they're going to find themselves out of the race. You know, when you, when you get, suffer a loss this early in the year against a team that maybe you should be able to, to that if you want to be a contender, you have to be. And um, they didn't do that the other day. And so, I mean, it could turn into a very long season there if they're not careful. All right. Well, let's turn to week five here and begin with Friday night. Uh, this is one of the more intriguing games in the Big Ten this week. Uh, maybe even some national discussion. Penn State at Maryland. And you're looking at two teams that have been combining to average more than 100 points per game. <laughs> the, the Terrapins rank fourth nationally at 53.0 points per game. And they're the top in total off. So what do you think about this one? Again, this this is going to be kind of an it's an interesting game in terms of I mean, it's it's the first league game for both. So, you know, it's it's one of those ones that I, I think they, they both want to get at this point. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, they they these are these are two teams that have, that have scored a lot of points and have both played well for the most part. So, you know, again, I it's it's it, that, that's why the over under was so high on this game of 61 and a half. I mean, I think this is this is a high scoring game it's a friday night game it's a you know which which is which is a little unusual you know but but again it's now the sign as kirk would say it's sign of the times you know so i mean yeah it's it's going to be a fascinating game because those are the like you said usually sometimes you look at these games and you think they're gonna be a lot of points and then they end up being like 20 to 17 or something like that but um but again for penn state it's an important game you're on the road chance to get a road win to to start off conference play for maryland you want to protect home you know and and so I mean it, it'll be an interesting game to see just just kind of where the score goes on this one and and because I think it, it's one of those games that it could start out one of the I mean like I said you could have a game in the 40s very easily so I guess I should have mentioned betting aspects here of our discussion <laughs> this season are going to be from the the points bet sportsbook at Catfish Bend Casino down in Burlington and yeah what are they saying about this one this is a line, an interesting line uh, six and a half Penn State six and a half point favorites uh, the over under was 61 and a half so that's saying to me that that the odds makers are thinking that this is a game that that both of them are going to be in the 30s, you know, and so um, you know, I if if I had if if I had to think, guess on this one, I mean, I, I think maybe that over under maybe goes up a little bit here in the next couple couple days before get you know before Friday's game, you know, Penn State that that's a, that's a pretty big number for being a road game, and so um, you know, in terms of the point spread, so I, I do think that that um, you know the odds makers are seeing this as a Penn State win. It's just a matter of, of how much and I and I do think I do think that, that this will be a Penn State win but I, I think it's going to be a tough one all right so you're picking Penn State that could be a game that's worth watching for a while Friday evening FS1 at 7 p.m. Central time so now yep. let's turn to the Saturday games starting with Rutgers at Michigan at 11 a.m. on BTN interesting there's no line on this one right now and I noticed that too with with the Vegas spread that there isn't a line right now on this one you know I, you know you figure Michigan's going to dominate this one it's a home game this is this is a Rutgers team that isn't very good we saw that 
uh, you know, just a couple weeks ago. You know, a lot of, you know, I mean, who knows what their quarterback issue is. You know, so so it'll be it'll be kind of interesting to see if if that when that line gets posted to see what it is. I mean, this, this is a Rutgers team that just it's a it's just a team that, that just has so many issues right now. And 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 I mean, you hate to think this way in September, but it's like you almost feel like they're going to start playing out the string pretty soon. This team that's lost thirteen what now thirteen consecutive Big Ten games. You know, I think Michigan wins this one very easily, and and, and it's a game I think Michigan needs to win very easy. Uh, after last week. You know, I think they need to get a little confidence now as, as they get into the meat of the conference schedule. So, um, you know, I, I think when the line comes, if, if a line comes out here pretty soon, I think they're heavy favorites, and I think you take Michigan in the points in this one. All right, also at noon Saturday on ABC, Northwestern at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, 24 and a half point favorite at home, but it, but a small over under at 47. So, I mean, this is this looks like one where I think Wisconsin really shuts down Northwestern. I don't think they get anything going. I mean, if they scored 10 points last week against Michigan State, I just don't see them putting up a lot of points. And that was one of the things about Wisconsin last week that was really impressive is, yeah, they got off to, to a really good start offensively, but I mean, their defense was just so good in that game. You know, I just see Wisconsin right now. I, I, I just think that, that this is a really good team. I, I think that's that, that seems like a high point spread, but I think they really dominate this game. And like I said, over under at 47. So, you know, I think the odds makers are looking at this one as, 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 as Northwestern probably not getting a lot of points in this one. 2.30, BTN. Indiana at Michigan State. Kind of an interesting game there, too. And Indiana has shown it can put up a bunch of points. Yeah, and, and, and that was an interesting, the over under for that one's 44. So, and Michigan State's a 14-point favorite at home. So, I think, you know, maybe the Spartans, you know, after, I think really bounced back with that win last week against Northwestern. That's one of those games I don't know. I, I kind of don't have a feeling on. Uh, it just seems like a lot of points because, like you said, I think Indiana has shown the ability to, to put up some numbers. But, um, you know, I mean, like I said, it, it's a home game for Michigan State. Chance for them to, to I mean, they've already got one conference road win. Or run, you know, they've already got one conference win. I think they cover in this one. I think they cover in this one. And I think maybe I take take the over because I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. 2.30 p.m. Central, ESPN2. The Gophers at Purdue, and this uh, obviously has some Big Ten West implications for both teams. Yeah, Minnesota is a one and a half point road favorite uh, with an over under of fifty five. That might be a little high, I think. You know, again for for Minnesota, for me, the one of those teams. These are the games that if they want to be serious contenders when you get in October, somebody's got to get a win in this game. And I think for Minnesota, it's, it's a lot more important to get a road win against a team that that if you want to be a contender in the in the division, you've got to beat this Purdue team. So. Um, um, you know, again, their road favorite, which I found a little bit interesting, but um, I, I, I'm going to take Minnesota in this one. I, I think they, I think they cover that one and a half, and I think they get a road win and, and kind of keep things going as, as we get into October. And if that happens in Purdue starts a season one and three. Yeah. Not good for them. Yeah. No, and I mean, this, I, I don't think it's a very good team. I just don't think, of course, they'll give Iowa trouble later in the year. It's just the way it always works out. But, but right now, I just don't think that's a very good team. Night game on ABC, 6.30 p.m. Central, Ohio State at Nebraska. It was apparently the only choice college game day had. 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, and it was funny because I think they were waiting to see what, what I mean, if Nebraska could could, could kind of hold on to Illinois. I just don't, I you know, I just don't see this being a good game for Nebraska. I, I think this is, I think this is a, just a really good Ohio State team. And you look at what they did last week against against a bad Miami of Ohio team. And I mean, they, they put up a lot of points early in that game and really cruised. You know, I, I think it's, you know, for Ohio State, it's, it's a good chance to make a statement game, you know, to win, to get a, get a road win against a Nebraska team and in, in, in a tough, it's always a tough place to play, you know, no matter what Nebraska is. I mean, it's always a big crowd and all that. You know, I, like I said, Ohio state is a, but my glass on the 17 point favorite on the road. You know, when, when's that happened at Nebraska, you know, I mean, with, with a really good team like that over under at 67, which that's kind of a high number. So, I mean, I think, I think they're, they're anticipating this to be a game in the thirties. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I think I take Ohio State in the points on the, and give the points on the road. I'm not sure about what I do about the over under, but I, I think Ohio State wins this one pretty easily. Okay, now back to the another 11 a.m. Central Time start. This game on ESPN two, and it's the one probably most of our listeners care the <laughs> most about. The Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders come into Kinnick Stadium to face the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I was a 23 and a half point favorite here. 23 out in Vegas. Uh, over under 53 here. 52 in Vegas. Yeah, I, I think this is a game. I, I, I think Iowa really needs a good showing on both sides of the ball here. I don't I don't think I think you want to have a game kind of like what you had against Rutgers. I think you want to you want to just dominate them defensively. You know, as you get ready for next week, it can be kind of a trap, maybe a little bit. I mean, you're coming off a bye week. Uh, you've got Michigan next week. You've got the meat of the Big Ten schedule in, in October with so many good games. But the talk this week, you know, and, and you were there on and then heard Kirk on, on Tuesday and. And, you know, the thing the player said, there's there is a lot of talk about don't, you know, make sure this isn't a trap game. So I think they're going to be awake for this one. I, I, I take Iowa in the points in this one. I, I think they dominate this game. You know, I think I think maybe it's it's like and maybe take the under too because I think it'll be like a 38 to six game or something like that. But I, I think that I think that this will be a really good way for Iowa to head. Just, you know, just go in, play, play a good game, get the job done and, and get out of there and then get ready for next week and make sure nobody the key gets hurt because you can't really afford that anymore. So that would give the Hawks a 4-0 start, and that would be the fifth time under Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, and I, I think that's what they wanted. I mean, when you look back on the schedule, when you think about it, you looked at it and you're like, if they, if they can be 4-0 getting to Michigan, then I then you're in pretty good shape. And that's why I think, you know, you didn't want to dump that, that Iowa State game. I mean, you didn't you wanted to make sure to get a road win there. So, I mean, if you go into, you go into Michigan, you're 4-0, you've, got a, you've already got a road win under your belt uh, in a tough atmosphere and on a, on a tough night all the way together and and you've already played a conference game i think you're in pretty good shape so that's why i think i think they just want to have a good game on saturday with not a lot of, of things that you would have to fix later and go in go in ann arbor with a lot of momentum because you know this michigan team might be wounded a little bit when you get there you know normally a patient wouldn't have a vat of scotch during a session mm-hmm. that's an interesting fact i'm gonna have to remember if i'm ever on jeopardy If Turner came up with it for the Hawkeyes. After review, the ruling on the field is confirmed. The ball was fumbled and recovered by Iowa. So the first turnover goes to the Hawkeyes. Birdie, we see this so many times. Guys fighting for extra yardage get just a little bit lax with your ball security. And great defenders, well-coached defenders like you have in Iowa, are going to punch that thing out. 
Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides his view of Middle Tennessee with both teams coming off their bye weeks. Our focus uh, shifted to Middle Tennessee. Uh, you know, a really good football program. I've uh, been following them ever since we scheduled them uh, and just kind of, you know, following their progress a little bit. Uh, I think you look at a couple things that jump out. Uh, coach Stocksdale and the staff have been there. They've got a really good football staff, a very veteran staff. Uh, been there for quite some time now and have had really uh, good sustained success. They've built that into a very strong program, four straight years in bowl games, I think five out of six. So uh, they've got they've got good coaches, they've got good players, and if you watch them over the years, they show up and they play. They play hard, they're well coached, and going on the road is not a big deal for them. They do that uh, annually, and they've had success doing that. So uh, the bottom line is we have to get ready to go. Uh, we expect them to be ready. There's no doubt about that, and a challenge for us is for us to get ready and, and play a good football game. Ference was asked about place kicker Keith Duncan's story. It's a real credit to him, and, and uh, you know, what a great moment. If nothing else had happened in his career, uh, you know, what a great moment. And uh, but, but fortunately, you know, he was motivated to, to push it further. And, uh, you know, he's had his ups and downs uh, since that time, obviously. But I think the thing we've all noticed is he's been working extremely hard behind the scenes, especially this past year plus. Uh, and last year, Miguel was pretty pretty firmly entrenched as our kicker. Uh, but he, he was improving. He was working hard. And I can say the same thing about what Caleb's been doing, too. And I've said already the, the competition's been very close in practice they're they're just so close with each other uh so we have total confidence in either one but right now uh he certainly has a hot hand and uh he's doing a great great job but it's a real i think tribute to his uh ability to stick to it and, and uh being focused on improvement it's a real good example for all the guys on our football team ference discusses his depleted defensive secondary and how players like geno stone and michael ojamudia have demonstrated leadership in keeping that makeshift group together really uh goes back to that the thing I say frequently is our best guys have to play their best and that that's uh, part of their roles to uh, help the younger guys come along and move move you know better understand the tempo we need the things you need to do on the practice field and in meetings those types of things and, and good teams function that way uh, Miguel is a great example uh, for Keith I think uh, the last couple of years and certainly Gino and, and OJ have done a really good job you know they're bo- both veteran guys Gino's not a senior but you know they're, they're playing like guys that have played and they play with some confidence and they're also uh, good about sharing their uh, their expertise, their knowledge with their teammates. And that's that's how teams have to function, certainly, because you know, we're going to have injuries every year. It's, it's not a new phenomenon. It just you know, seems like they're bunched up a little bit this year. But you deal with it and you keep moving, and uh, it's an opportunity for somebody else to jump in there and play well. And you know, we talk about Paulson sliding out to tackle, doing a good job, worse going to the left side. You know, there's been a lot of really positive things that have come out of it. And when, when we get guys back, at some point we'll be a stronger football team. And uh, But it's just it'll be fun to get them back here uh, a little bit more liberally. Ference was asked how he works to keep his team from overlooking Middle Tennessee and whether when doing so he harks back to games like you and I a few years ago. Yeah, if, if you win, <laughs> which I mean, that was, a, that was a miracle. I don't believe in miracles too often. That was a miracle. There's a, that's the only way to put it. Uh, also, that's half the truth. Uh, I, I referenced uh, Arkansas State as well. Uh, you know, we had a pretty good football team in 09. It was a three-point game, and they played their tails off. And I think there are probably some parallels in the programs, quite frankly. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying we underestimate Arkansas State. You know, 
10 years ago. Uh, we can ask those guys when they're back here for the reunion. But but bottom line is it was a, a heck of a football game start to finish. We had to fight our tails off to get out of there. So the message is, you know, if, if you're not doing your best internally, then, you know, you're going to be involved in some games like that. And you can come out on the short end, and, and we should have really against you and I. Uh, you could argue that. So, you know, it's just the way sports are. It's uh, same thing. I mean, in basketball, a few years later, I'm watching uh, Butler play Duke, I think, in the national championship. The um, announcer said that uh, Butler just lost to Youngstown State four weeks before that. I said, can you imagine that as to, to Steve? Steve's sitting on the couch. He's in high school. He says, Dad, you guys lost to you and I in 09 won the Orange Bowl. So without even thinking, right? So it's the same thing. But that that's sports. you got to get ready every week. Every game's tough. And Kirk talks about his four-man running back rotation. Yeah, it's really rare. And they're all a little bit different, as you know. But uh, take take Goodson out of the equation. You know, the other three guys are, are uh, players that we we know pretty well. They've been here for now for second year where they've all been prominent. And uh, just like I said, I think Amir's a much better football player. I think all three of the backs, uh, when you talk about Makai, Torin, or, or Ivory, are all better players than they were last season. So that that's good for us, and certainly Tars gives us a little dimension uh, that's, that's a little bit unique. And yeah, the trick is to figure out how to how to get them in and out of the game. But you know, right now, at least offensively, and I think it's probably true defensively too. I think everybody's nobody's counting plays. You know, they're just they're just playing, and um, you know that, that's all we're asking them to do is go in there and do what they can do. And I think you know we're pleased with what we're seeing so far. Next, we hear from Middle Tennessee head coach Rick Stockstill, who gives his view of this year's Iowa team. Obviously, Iowa's a very talented team. They're very well coached. have a lot of respect for them and their program. Like AC said, they're 14th in the country now. It's a good football team. You know, obviously, they're a really big, strong, physical football team. Uh, they're going to want to try to establish the run but coming in and then probably take shots down the field, try to get you some play action shots. So we got to prepare for that. You know, their offense, uh, defense is, is physical, big up front. They're talented on the back end, and they're really sound in the kicking game. So we got our we got a great challenge ahead of us, a great opportunity ahead of us, one that we're looking forward to. And uh, you know, we got to go up there, and you know, when you play on the road, when you play away games, you know, you got to bring your toughness, and uh, we got to be a very, we got to, we got to be a level ahead of their toughness because they're a tough physical football team. Stockstill was asked how his offense will try to deal with Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa. He's a good player. We've played a bunch of good players so far this year, but, uh, you know, it just it comes down to being fundamentally sound in what you're doing in your protection and, and, and your fundamentals and blocking and everything you do. So he's going to make plays, and, and, and we're going to have our times where, you know, we make plays. So he, he's a good football player. We, we have a plan. We'll have a plan. When you face good players, good teams, it usually comes down to execution and uh, fundamentals. And uh, so that's what we've got to rely on this week. Stock still talks about Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley. Probably just, you know, his tenacity. You know, he he he, he runs mad. He runs, you know, like he's got a chip on his shoulder, which I'm sure he does. Uh, but he's a physical, downhill, hard-nosed runner that, you know, breaks tackles. Uh, mostly, I think, because of his effort. You know, he'll, he, he can make you miss, but a lot of his production is a result of, you know, his effort, his refusal, refusal to go down by the first tackler. Stockstill was asked about Kirk Ferentz and his longevity at Iowa and whether they share some of the same characteristics that have made both coaches successful over time. You know, I don't know him. 
uh, personally, but I have a ton of respect for him. Uh, how he runs his program, what he's, you know, every year, you know, you know, his team is right there in the mix of things. To be able to stay there as long as he has, you know, is just a testament to the character of him, the character, the integrity of their team, how they play, how hard they play. But I just have a lot of respect for him, and I'm looking forward to meeting him, looking forward to talking to him before the game because I do respect coaches like him and uh, just have a ton of respect for him. I hope when people play us or watch us play that, you know, they say that some of the same things that our team plays hard they play with great effort they're smart do things the right way on and off the field you know so I hope so and and I would like to think that we do because I'm really proud of uh, what we've accomplished here you know in my time being here and uh, you know it's a credit to our players and our coaching staff but um, I would hope that people say some of the similar things and Rick Stockstill explains how his team is trying to get more pressure on opposing quarterbacks well I mean it's hard you know you you look at teams as fast as quarterbacks get the ball out now you know especially who we've played you know these first three games you know the ball comes out fast and it's hard to it's hard to get there you know so I think affecting the quarterback is sometimes just as important as getting a sack and uh, you know they've got a really good offensive line they do a great job they'll max protect you know they'll keep an extra guy in and protect they'll use their back in protection you know so they do a good job it's going to be hard you know to to get there and uh, but when we do get an opportunity you know we've got to take advantage of it but at the same time you know if we can get close and just make him a little bit uncomfortable where he's not sitting back there you know where he's got you know time to pat the ball our our guys will play hard I have no doubt about that Dejounte Jones in the slot. Purdy looking their way and overthrows. And Jack Kerner just knocks it down. Hawkeyes will take possession of the football. The lead with two minutes left. Jones and Milton standing back at their own 20. As he tried to field it. Hawkeyes recover it. It's Devontae Young. And it looked like a cyclone ran into his own man. Daytron Young ran to Deshante Jones and the Hawkeyes recover it and they're going to walk out of here with a victory. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook feature this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve reflects on Iowa's Cyhawk Trophy victory at Iowa State, and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's Iowa Middle Tennessee game. We welcome back Steve Batterson for the Iowa Middle Tennessee 
Tennessee Week, Reporter's Notebook segment on Hawkeye's Mike. Before we get into the game against the Blue Raiders this coming Saturday at Kinnick, Steve, let's take a couple of moments and reflect on Iowa's marathon win over Iowa State, 18-17, to a couple of weeks ago, uh, and retention of the Cy Hawk Trophy once again for the Hawkeyes. Seems like uh, that game has just ended. It almost had. So, yeah, you know, certainly uh, a big win for Iowa in terms of going on the road, finding a way to kind of persevere against uh, a solid Iowa State team that's, that's going to win a lot of football games this year. I really like what uh, Matt Campbell is doing over there. And, and uh, you know, to go to, to Jack Trice and to come away with a with a win uh, by any margin is, is a good thing. Uh, first time in, in 57 games those teams have played that uh, the margin has been one point. And I, I think that's a reflection on where both of these teams are and where they can be by the end of the season. But, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, good for uh, for Keith Duncan to uh, to have that kind of a game. Uh, field goals uh, are, are very, uh, you know, it could be very important moving forward here as, as the Big Ten season of, uh, approaches. And, and uh, to have a kicker go into a hostile environment, uh, certainly uh, as hostile as Iowa will see, and uh, kick four field goals and, uh, you know, including the game winner. Uh, you know, that's big for anybody. And, and certainly for, uh, you know, a kicker who's off to a, a terrific start at eight and eight for the season. So, you know, it, it was a, it was an interesting game. Iowa's run, uh, run game was challenged a little bit by the Iowa State defense. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, the Iowa defense was challenged a little bit by the arm of Brock Purdy. And, and uh, you know, it, just a good overall team effort. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from, from a game like that. And, and uh, it's the type of game that will benefit Iowa as it moves deeper into the Big Ten season. And, and uh, you know, frankly, you, you need a test like that. I believe uh, early in the season to to kind of ready yourself, and uh, you know I, I think the fact that uh, both teams have been involved in, in a game like that I think will help both Iowa and Iowa State moving forward. So that win improved Iowa's season record to three and zero, and that includes one and zero in the Big Ten, and it's the third uh, straight season that the Hawkeyes have started out three and zero, the ninth time in the Ferentz era. Middle Tennessee comes into this game one and two. Uh, those two losses are to uh, Duke in Michigan. And the Blue Raiders also, just like the Hawkeyes, are coming off a bye week. Yeah, there really uh, is kind of an interesting twist to this thing. Usually, you know, one of the teams has played the prior week, but, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee uh, took last weekend off as well and uh, has had a chance to kind of reflect on on its start. Uh, You know, they opened up in Ann Arbor and and lost a 19-point game there, uh, came back and and handled uh, Tennessee State after that, uh, as you would expect. And, And then they hosted. Duke, uh, you know, a chance to, to get a Power 5 team in, into Murfreesboro. It fell behind very early in that game and, and uh, ended up losing 41-19, to 19. but uh, you know, they've been tested a couple times. They're not going to be intimidated uh, coming into Kinnick. This is a, a program that traditionally will go out and play two, you know, one, two Power 5 teams a year. Uh, they, they beat Missouri in, in 2016. They beat Syracuse in 2017. So, you know, there are guys on this roster that have been through this before and uh, it's uh, you know certainly uh, you know this is a good challenge Uh, they've never beaten a Big Ten team they're 0-6 they took Illinois into the final minutes a couple of years ago but the Illini escaped in Bill Cubitt's uh, brief tenure there but uh, you know certainly uh, a a non-conference opponent that I think you have to respect and and if you're Iowa it has to catch your attention. Another interesting little tidbit in this game of course most of us 
uh, certainly all Iowa fans know that Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college football coaches, but uh, Rick Stockstill, the uh, Middle Tennessee coach, is the sixth longest tenured head coach in college football, so certainly two veterans at the helm of their respective teams. Let's look at the uh, matchups for Iowa's offense versus the Middle Tennessee defense, and of course, Iowa's really been plagued by injuries early this season on both sides, but particularly on defense, but uh, it's resulted and it continues to result based on what Kirk said at his press conference on Tuesday and shuffling of the offensive line. Uh, yeah, certainly it, it looks like uh, Kyler Schott, one of those guys who kind of the next man in thing, stepped in and, and had performed admirably the past couple of weeks, a walk-on from North Lynn, uh, is out with a foot injury that was suffered on Sunday in practice, and uh, that allows Cole Banwart, who, who was supposed to be in that original front five before suffering an injury in the preseason, he's healthy now. It allows him to split back in at a guard spot he was probably going to play at anyway. And, uh, you know, I think that that helps a little bit. Cole has started some games there, and, and uh, they're you know, it shouldn't be too much of a transition in this situation, and I think that's probably a beneficial thing. Uh, you know, they'll be going up against a Middle Tennessee defense. It's typically a 4-3 outfit, and, and uh, they'll bring some quickness to the table as well. But, uh, you know, I think Iowa coming off of the Iowa State game, I think, uh, you know, certainly we, we got a chance to see Ivory Kelly Martin carry the ball for the first time this season. Uh, it looks like Iowa has four running backs, and, and last week Brian Ferentz indicated that the plan is to continue to use for running backs and you know they'll mix and match based on on what they see across the line personnel wise and maybe look for that hot hand on a given day and you know certainly the three experienced guys will be where it starts but you know how how early Tyler Goodson got on the field at Ames is it speaks volumes as to the level of trust that uh, the Iowa coaches have in that true freshman so you know it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of continues to to work and and uh, it's certainly the starting point for the Hawkeye offense. Hawkeyes are averaging nearly 29 points a game. Middle Tennessee's giving up nearly 36 a game. And the rushing attack, it certainly looks more solid four games in this year than it did last year, where it was a bit anemic, averaging 173 yards a game. And that's a weakness for Middle Tennessee's defense. They're giving up 222. They, they certainly have been, uh, you know, willing to yield a yard or two on the ground. And, you know, I, you take a look at what Makai Sargent's brought to the table uh, as not only a rusher, but a, a pass catcher for Iowa and uh, leading, you know, the Hawkeyes with just under 70 yards a game on, on the ground. And, and uh, you know, right now he, he's tied for second on the team in terms of receptions. Uh, brings some real balance to that backfield and, and uh, just another thing for defenses to have to worry about. And uh, This has been a Middle Tennessee uh, defense that will get after people. They have a tradition of, of turning people over. They haven't done so quite as much this year as, as what maybe they have in the past, but uh, it's, it's still a, a fairly veteran group. Uh, you, you take a look at their lineup and, and it's a junior and senior outfit on defense in terms of their starters. Uh, they have some quickness, you know, not uh, not big 10 size, but uh, they will certainly, uh, you know, try to try to uh, use their quickness to their advantage. Iowa's four running backs are all, they're all a little bit different. I mean, and they present different challenges to opposing defenses. I guess you could say Kelly Martin and Tyler Goodson are probably fairly similar, but each one of those four guys, and when they put 
put two of them in the backfield like they have been, almost like an old modified T formation, it's really been effective. It really has been. And, you know, I think the, the goal going into the season, uh, you know, was five yards per carry. And, uh, you know, at this at this point, uh, it dipped a little below that uh, with the uh, with the Iowa State uh, effort added in. But, you know, that's a that's a, a solid objective for this, this offense. And, and it certainly um, the potential is there if you take a look at, at uh, you know, the, the lead dogs, if you will, in, in Torn Young and, and Sargent. Both of those guys are over five a carry. And, and uh, Goodson and, and uh, you know, is right under it at 4.8 per carry. And, and uh, Ivory Kelly Martin still trying to kind of get his legs under him. Uh, in terms of uh, full health is is at four and you know he's going to need to produce a little more you don't want to be the odd man out in that group and and uh, it, it's been an interesting collection that that certainly I think is, is going to be the base of, of what this Iowa team is about. Nate Stanley continues to climb up the Iowa record books he's hitting his passes at a 63.4 percent rate he has six passing touchdowns no picks averaging nearly 230 yards a game. Poise too uh, you know the one thing that we that we've saw from him at Iowa State uh, with some real moxie at the QB position and uh, had a chance to talk with, with Chuck Long earlier this week and one of the things that he brought to the conversation was the fact that you know he, he just looks so calm and confident back there right now. You can tell that he's in control and is very comfortable with how this offense is operating. You know That's what you'd expect from a third-year starter, a, a senior who, who's, who's been fairly steady throughout his career and Chuck feels like he's, he's uh, positioned him himself to, to to do some special things with this Iowa football team and you know he certainly has a, a good collection of receivers to work around and and you know and, and that starts with the improvement that we've seen from the guys who've been here for a couple of years. The Iowa time of possession is really impressive they're averaging over 36 minutes their opponents just under 24 that's uh, near the top in the NCAA statistical rankings in the Big Ten one of the things that's, I think, been most uh, impressive and a lot of fans are pretty happy about is the core of wide receivers. Absolutely. It's a deep group and it's a growing group. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you take a look at, at Smith, Marset and Smith, along with what I was getting out of the two Richard freshmen in, in, uh, in Tyrone Tracy, and uh, Nico Regani, and there's a lot to like about this group of receivers. You know, there's so much to like about it. It's, it's been difficult for them to get Oliver Martin into the mix a little bit, and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because other guys are playing well, but, uh, you know, it, it certainly is, is one of the deeper groups of receivers that Iowa's had to work with in a number of years, and, you know, that's certainly a positive if you think back to where this program was maybe three or four years ago. Yeah, among the the top five receivers so far, two of them are the running backs. Uh, Makai Sargent, you already talked about. Tyler Goodson's already caught six passes, and to your point, uh, Tyrone Tracy and Oliver Martin, I mean, it's hard to find a flaw right now in Iowa's passing game, so uh, and they're averaging a little over 232 yards passing a game. So, And that's just slightly under what Middle Tennessee gives up on defense. The Blue Raiders do have a really good free safety, and he's their probably their leader on defense, Reed Blankenship. And uh, he's their leading tackler. Probably their other better defensive player is a linebacker whose first name is Khalil. Thank goodness for the Hawkeyes. His last name isn't Mack. It's Brooks. Yeah, absolutely. You, you take a look at those two guys along with, uh, you know, Tyshawn 
and renders a, another guy that plays at, a, at an end position that uh, will be worth keeping an eye on as well. And, and they, you know, they, they've been the heart of a, of a defense that's, that's been known over time for being fairly aggressive. They don't have a lot of sacks accumulated this year. They're, they're kind of mirror Iowa in, in that way, but uh, they're, they're capable. And uh, uh, certainly Blankenship is, is a guy who he's been through it. I mean, he's a senior that uh, has had uh, – uh, you know, a ton of starting experience, uh, and, he, and he brings, uh, you know, he brings a, a certain intensity to the game that uh, is certainly noteworthy, and, and um, you know, and it has caught the attention of the Iowa guys. They they, uh, they have some respect for this opponent, which I think is a good thing coming off of a bye week it, and a week before you get to, a, to a, a Big Ten matchup with a Michigan team. Yeah, Blankenship has Middle Tennessee's only two picks this season. So, this matchup, Iowa's offense, Middle Tennessee defense, who has the edge? Well, I, I think that Iowa's offense, uh, you know, certainly is positioned well to, to continue to kind of push forward, I guess, uh, if you want to put it that way. Uh, the mix that uh, that we've seen develop, I think, is, is certainly beneficial. Iowa's starting to to convert third downs on a, on a fairly high percentage, uh, an improved percentage, and, and I think that that's, uh, uh, that's only going to be helpful as well moving forward, and, and I do think Iowa has, has an edge on, on certainly on that side of the ball. All right. All right, let's turn to Iowa's defense versus Middle Tennessee's offense. The Hawkeyes' defense is among the Big Ten and NCAA leaders statistically in several defensive categories, and it's surrendering only 10.3 points per game and giving up a total of um, just uh, 263 yards a game against a Middle Tennessee team that has the potential to be very explosive, terrific dual-threat quarterback, a couple of really good receivers. Talk about that matchup overall. Yeah, hey, you know, especially since I was also probably amongst the NCAA leaders and in injuries in the secondary already as well. I, you know, I think that's, you know, the, the Hawkeyes have, have uh, kind of weathered uh, some issues there so far, uh, but they'll be tested for this week. Uh, there, there's no question that uh, Asher O'Hara is, is a he's a sophomore quarterback. He's an Illinois kid, Rolling Meadows out of the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, he's been to Kinnick before. Uh, this won't be his first experience there. He's been there as a fan in the past, and uh, he's a kid that uh, attended junior college out of high school uh, and then moved into uh, Middle Tennessee a year ago as kind of an understudy to uh, to uh, a fourth-year starting quarterback in, in, in the son of the head coach, uh, who was a record setter down there. And, and this kid has stepped in, and all he's done is complete over 70% of his passes. And, um, you know, I, he's a kid that uh, certainly, I think, uh, you know, has everybody's attention down there. Uh, he's throwing for 261 yards a game, and, and uh, he's thrown eight touchdown passes and, and been intercepted twice in an offense that certainly you know isn't bashful about putting the ball in the air. They've got one of the nation's leading receivers, a kid by the name of Ty Law, that uh, uh, is uh, uh, the leading active career receptions leader in, in the country right now. He's got 225 uh, receptions in in his career at Middle Tennessee, and he's going to leave there rewriting their entire receptions and receiving uh, record book, but uh, he's, he comes to Kinnick with a string of uh, 43 straight games where he's caught at least one pass, which uh, um, you know, he, he's starting to flirt a little bit with uh, with NCAA record type territory there, but uh, uh, he, he's a back, he's small, he's a 5'9 kid, but he's, he's awfully quick, and I was going to have to be very aware of him in the secondary. And there are other receivers just behind him, 
Aaron Pierce has 10 catches. He's averaging 43 yards a game. So two solid people in that uh, category. A solid running back, Jayton Mobley. Uh, He's averaging 36 yards a game. And that doesn't sound like much, but that's because Asher O'Hara, the quarterback, is the leading rusher. And uh, obviously O'Hara is also completing uh, nearly 71% of his passes. But, you know, it's Iowa has had a history over the last few years, but getting better, it appears, in dealing and defensing dual-threat quarterbacks. They'll be tested by one. Uh, you know, O'Hara is a kid who is, you know, one, of, one out of every two rushes that this team has made so far this season, he's the guy carrying the football. So, you know, they're going to have to be very aware of, uh, of him, work to keep him in the pocket and not let him get out of that pocket. I think if they can do that, um, which I think Iowa has the talent to do, I think that, uh, you know, they, they certainly will have the chance to, to make, uh, uh, you know, for a long afternoon for Asher O'Hara, but he, he certainly is capable of returning that favor as well. And, you know, the, the, the receivers, uh, Pierce and Lee, are, are not exactly the the tallest guys on the field. Uh, they do have a 6'2 guy in, in C.J. Windham that's, uh, that's caught seven balls and is averaging about 17 yards a catch. So, you know, they've got some weapons to, to play with there. And, and this is a team that, uh, um, you know, they put up over 500 yards on Mizzou a couple of years ago. And uh, they don't hesitate to to uh, spread it out and, and uh, give you some issues offensively. A lot of times you'll see a lot of four receiver sets and uh, it, it will challenge Iowa. And I think it it's a good challenge for Iowa. I think these are the types of teams that, uh, uh, you know, you'll run into some looks occasionally in the Big Ten that uh, um, are, are similar, and I think any any experience you can gain in a game like this is beneficial. Let's go back to your point earlier about the injuries in the defensive secondary. The Hawkeyes really haven't been able to employ their sort of modified 4-2-5 defense. I've hardly seen any cash position uh, plays on the field so far because of all the injuries, but it's also given a, a couple of players... Uh, uh, the chance to step up, and they've performed well, and that's Jack Corner and DJ Johnson. Yeah, you know, and that, that's the encouraging thing is that when some somebody goes down, somebody else has been able to kind of step up, and you know, the, the communication issues that maybe were a, a, a problem a couple of games ago as they were working through some things. Those are starting to get fewer and further between, and I think that's that's a sign of a, of a guy like Jack Turner who stepped in and, and certainly uh, you know has performed admirably uh, in, in the absence of, of, of Kayvon Merriweather and, and uh, DJ Johnson, Big Ten Freshman of the Week after, after his performance against Iowa State. You know, a, a day that didn't start out so well for him. He, he got burned on a long pass, but you know, the kid uh, sucked it up and, and uh, uh, got it together and, and, and finished with a with a, a solid performance, and you know that's a that's a redshirt freshman who who had caught Iowa's a coach's attention prior to the season. He was a guy that was getting a look at that cash position, but you know right now they just don't have the personnel to to deploy that very often. And although this certainly would be a week that that might be a little helpful, but uh, um, you know you, you take a look at those two guys that they've stepped it up. Um, you know, and, and you, you have to credit Geno Stone and Michael Ojemudia. Mud- with the uh, the uh, you know the consistency in their performance that uh, has kind of been the glue to, to hold it all together because both of those guys have had to get used to playing with a lot of different pieces around them especially with with uh, you know Matt Hankins out with um, with uh, Julius Brents out Riley Moss out as well as Merriweather it's been uh, you know it's been a little let's draw something out of a hat and see who's next back there and uh, you know so far it's held up pretty well yeah the other interesting storyline. 
Iowa's defense through the first four games. Their leading tacklers are two of their linebackers, Colbert and Welch. But, you know, everybody's attention continues to be on A.J. Epinesa, whose stats aren't looking as spectacular as they did last year, but he's definitely making an impact in each of these games. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's drawing a lot of defensive attention. And, you know, and I think each week people are trying to throw different things at him, which certainly will benefit him long term uh, as he develops ways to kind of work around whatever he sees coming. But it's also allowed some other guys to kind of, you know, be in the mix. And, and you know, Iowa has three sacks right now as a team, which uh, it, the only other team that has that few in the Big Ten is Rutgers. And Ohio State is at 20 right now through four games. But, but uh, you know, it, it hasn't exactly been the type of pass rush that maybe a lot of fans envision. But they are getting to quarterbacks. They're disrupting things. They've, they've got 13 quarterback hurries. Epinesa has, uh, has, has five of those. Uh, you know, some of the other guys up front, uh, uh, Lattimore and Nixon, have, have collected some. Golston as well. And so they're disrupting quarterbacks. They may not be getting to them, but they're, they're taking them off of their game and making them do things that maybe they don't want to do, or at least not when they want to do it. And, you know, that type of disruption is, is every bit as uh, invaluable. And you know, I thought Phil Parker last week brought it up that, you know, some, some of this, uh, you know, the uh, the run-pass option that you see in, in college football right now is, is uh, you know, it, it's forcing quarterbacks to, to get rid of the ball extremely quick. Uh, and, and that is limiting the number of, of, of opportunities that the guys are having to get that sack but there are other ways to you know to kind of skin a cat and and that's what i was trying to do right now and it's been pretty effective so far so who has the edge in this matchup iowa's defense middle tennessee's offense I think this is a fairly even matchup, but I do think that uh, um, Iowa's defensive front, I think, is going to have a lot to say with uh, with how this thing uh, plays out. And if if they can make Asher O'Hara uncomfortable, I think Iowa is going to be in a pretty good position to to uh, take care of business on that side of the ball as well. Against an offense that certainly uh, has a chance to be very potent if if Iowa allows it to get going. Let's take a quick look at special teams. Keith Duncan, you already mentioned, he's been everything the Hawkeyes could have hoped for going into the season. Eight for eight in his field goals. Uh, eight for eight kicking PATs. The punting has been probably more than Iowa hoped for with Michael Sleep Dalton. So the And Caleb Shudek has hit uh, on his 18 kickoffs. Ten of them have been touchbacks and there's very little return yardage either from the opponent's punting or kick return team so far. Yeah, and you know, which I mean, all of that is, is good stuff, and and that's you know why one of the reasons that, that Iowa decided to to make Lavar Woods a coordinator a couple of years ago was to kind of kind of build a group that Iowa could count on because special teams over time have been so important for Iowa in terms of making a difference uh, uh, in games, and you know, probably the only area that's maybe uh, a little slow to to blossom at this point is is the return game, both in in punt returns and kick returns. Maybe the yardage isn't quite. To, uh, you know what I had hoped. Uh, Nico Regani is, is returning punts for for the first time, and uh, you know his average came up with his effort against Iowa State. He's now at eight yards per return, and you know I, I think there's there's some progress being made there. Maybe not as quickly as they'd like, but uh, um, you know he's getting accustomed to uh, to dealing with different styles of punters and and uh, you know how to field and when to field and when not to field the punt, and and uh, th- those types of things come with experience. And and you know uh, Lavar in, in 
in talking with uh, with us last week, one of the things that he he said is, you know, they're they're willing to be patient and and they feel comfortable with the growth they see there. Uh, you know, Smith Marset uh, has plenty of experience and was one of the country's best kick return guys a, a year ago, and and they see the potential there for that to continue to develop as well. But uh, you know, it, it's um, especially when you throw in the weather conditions at Iowa State, uh, uh, return opportunities weren't exactly uh, great there, but uh, it, it was. Uh, you know, it's a type of effort that uh, that's a work in progress, and it, it's certainly a, a good complement to the uh, you know to the progress they're making in other areas. You take a look at their net punting average at, at this point; it's about 10 yards further than uh, than what Iowa was dealing with a year ago, and that's you know that's 10 yards more of field position that uh, uh, you know a benefit to the defense, and and that's uh, that's big. Yeah, and the other big difference in the punting game with Sleep Dalton versus Rastetter last season is that Sleep Dalton has had to punt from some horrible field position situations, and he's not flubbed one yet. He's been very solid in that regard and has come up with some really long kicks. I mean, you talk some punting games. Uh, the Iowa Rutgers game was spectacular in that regard, but that's a huge difference, and Rastetter struggled in those pressure situations last season. There certainly were inconsistencies, and you know some of that uh, is weather-related, but certainly, uh, you know, and the weather certainly, I would suspect, will change as, as we move deeper into the season. If we can continue, you know, this, this nice fall that we've had in the, in the upper Midwest, that would be great. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons that he came here was he wanted to challenge himself in, in, in more challenging weather conditions and, and, you know, the winds and, and the, the cool air will uh, arrive soon enough to, to make that happen. But, uh, you know, he's looked like a, a fifth-year senior, a, a kid who's who's had some experience and had some success. He's very confident. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that makes the, the, the guys on the, who are dealing with the opposing returners, I think that gives them confidence. They've got a little bit of, of an idea of where that ball is going to land and how it's going to, uh, you know, be delivered, uh, the, which is allowing them to, to do their jobs. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's a collective thing, and, and uh, from the snap to the uh, to the kick to the to the punt to uh, you know to the to the return, uh, it seems to be working for Iowa right now. Okay, time for your prediction. Both teams again, as we said earlier, coming off their bye weeks, kind of unusual. Here's the question of the week: Will the Hawkeyes get their fifth four and zero start under head coach Kirk Ferentz? And when they've done that in the past, they've went on to win ten or more games in three seasons. It, it it's been a very good omen in the past when that's happened and, and, and certainly I think that uh, you know this team is capable of doing that it, it, this is an opponent that they uh, should be able to handle at home I, I think it'll be maybe a little closer um, than maybe what some folks expected in part because of, of middle Tennessee's ability to make plays but uh, I certainly think that this is the, the type of game that uh, that Iowa should be able to win maybe by a by a 40 to, to, to 24 kind of score I, I think it's uh, um, a game that is uh, if Iowa can get off to a, a, a good start, which is something that we've seen from this group. They've been pretty efficient offensively. Um, I, I think the possibility is there for, for the Hawkeyes to, to head, to Ann, head to Ann Arbor in another week with uh, with with a 4-0 record and, and a pretty good head of steam. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that Asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace. The Hawkeyes are going to claim the Cy-Hawk trophy. 
And I just remember Coach Ferris telling us special teams, turnovers, and he said, no dumb mistakes will win this football game. So Iowa's now won 10 straight non-conference games since their 2017 season opener. Fifth straight, they've won the Cy-Hawk Trophy. The final score here in Ames, Iowa 18, Iowa State 17. Our thanks again to FS1 for the Iowa-Iowa State game highlights, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson and John Bonenkamp. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are now available and can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 13 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.